You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. Okay, so we're in the, the Word of God today. We're in Matthew chapter 14. And if you turn there, uh, that would be awesome. We'll read it together. I'm going to uh, be preaching a message tonight. I love to share this message to really... Offer words of encouragement and hope. Raise your hand if, um, if you could just use a word of encouragement. Maybe, maybe a word of hope tonight. Anybody? I know my hand's raised up, and I'm here just like you are to hear a message from God. I love the songs that we sang in Chelsea. He had no idea of the text that I was going to be preaching on. It just One of the songs especially goes just perfectly when we talked about the great I Am. And Jesus... It's called the Great I Am in John chapter 8, and he actually calls himself the Great I Am when we read this text here in, in just, a, just a moment. So I'm in Matthew chapter 14. I want to read verses uh, 13 through 22. Now this is Jesus walking uh, on the water, right? 22 through 33. Are you ready? I'm excited. I'm really excited. This, this text. See, here's what's going to happen. I had this kind of epiphany when I was standing over there. Maybe it's just a hope more than an actual epiphany. That somebody's going to hear this message and it's really going to impact your life. And in the future, I may not be around, but in the future, you're going to look back on this night, March the, I think it's the 2nd, last I checked, 2020, and you're going to say, God really spoke to me and uh, I may be in heaven. I may not, you may not get to call me or text me or private message me and tell me, hey, thank you for this message, but I really got... And it may be a teenager. It may be a student tonight. And you say, well, thanks a lot. I'm not a teenager. Why did I even come? No, no, no. Just hold on, because I believe God's got a message for, for all of us. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Who made the disciples get in the boat? Okay, say, say his name one more time. This is going to be very important because a lot of times we think we get ourselves in trouble and we must be out of the will of God when precisely we're in the will of God. Now, sometimes we get in trouble and we should get in trouble because we do things we shouldn't do. We say things we shouldn't say. We think thoughts we shouldn't think and God disciplines us. He chastises us. However, there are other times when you're doing all the right things and you're saying all the right things and you're doing all the right things and, and you still find yourself in the midst of trouble. You say, yeah, how does that work? Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. Love that. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat, remember he put the disciples in the boat, y'all go sail on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Evening came, he was alone, the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Who told the disciples to get in the boat? Does Jesus sometimes lead us into hard times? Does Jesus sometimes tell us to go do something knowing that it's going to be beyond our control and we're absolutely going to be needing him? Yes. Now in the fourth watch of the night, that is old dark 30 people, let me tell you. That is 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. is the fourth watch of the night. Jesus went to them walking on the water. Ooh, come on now. The Sea of Galilee, Lake Genesaret. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. And just last year, Andy, we were there in 2018. We were on the Sea of Galilee. Andy tried to step out of the boat and walk on the water. It didn't go well for him at all, but I'm just kidding. He didn't. He didn't. All right, so they're at the, the fourth watch of the night, and when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, they were troubled, and they said, it is a phantasma. It's the Greek word. It's where we get the English word phantom, all right? And then they cried out for phobos, for, what does that mean? Phobia means a fear, you know, petrified. But Jesus spoke to them, and he said, verse 27, praise God. Just some of the Bible verses just leap off the page to us. And Jesus said three things. Be of good cheer. It is I. Ergo, I me in the Greek. You literally translate it, I am. I am. And then he said something very powerful. He said, stop being afraid. Can I tell you all something really cool in case I forget later? How many days of the, are there in the year? 65. 
Somebody actually counted them, and I don't know, I guess that took a lot of, lot of time. Yeah, unless it's leap year, I get all that. But in the Bible, there's do not be afraid 365 times. In the Bible, you can trace, you can count them 365 times, one per day, that God tells us don't fear. And Peter answered him, oh, you got to love Peter, right? Here he comes. And Peter answered, Lord, if that is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, and he caught him. And he said to him, Oh, you of little, little what? Little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and they worshiped Jesus and they said, truly, you are the Son of God. Can we pray just one more time? Just ask the Lord to really speak to us through his word. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for First Baptist Church Farwell. Thank you for these dear, precious people, Lord, that have come tonight to worship you, to utilize the gifts and the talents that you have given them, as many as have already have led us. And now, Lord, to sit in a pew and to focus their gaze and their attention, not upon a man, but upon you, Jesus, and upon your word. I'm praying, God, that you would instill hope when there's no hope, and you would instill great courage and boldness, Lord, where there's a lot of trepidation and timidity and fear. God, I pray in the name above every name, Jesus, that, Lord, you would so powerfully and, and just so profoundly speak to us tonight that we as children of God, would jettison every emotion of worry and fear and doubt. And God, we would say, be gone in the name of Jesus. And we would be, God, your people, people full of faith and courage and boldness. Lord, I'm praying that you would do what only you can do. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Good, good, good. Okay, so... Peter, I love Peter. Uh, Peter the Apostle, I probably relate more to him than I do the other uh, apostles. John was a great mystic, a great sage, a thinker. And uh, Peter and James, you know, and James and John, the sons of thunder, they were mighty men of God. But Peter, Peter's that guy that he means well, but sometimes he speaks, are you with me? Before he thinks. Now, I know a lot of folks that have that, and I'm one of those people sometimes. I, I say something, I'm like, oh, it's like toothpaste. You know, you squeeze it, you try to get it back in, you just can't get, get it back in. But Peter was the only apostle or disciple who decided he would rather be a wet sinner than a dry boat dweller. And so he steps out in faith. Can you all imagine for just, just a moment? How many of y'all have heard this story before? Raise your hand. Okay, good. How many of you have never heard this story? Raise your hand. Well, pretty much all of us have heard the story. So you're like, well, what are you going to share with me in this story that I don't already know? Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Because I believe God's really going to speak to you. And I really believe it could be you ladies and gentlemen all here on the second row. It could be. It could be that God is going to say something to y'all, and in the future, it, you, you're going to remember it, and it's, and it's going to change, change your life. Anybody here teachers? Anybody teach education? Yes. Yes, yes, okay, my hand's raised. I used to be a professor, and, um, and I enjoyed that life, academics and teaching and mentoring students and grading papers, amen, so much fun. And now God has led me back into pastoral ministry over the last 10 years, and I love it. I love being a, a local uh, church pastor. But you know, Pastor Russ and, and teachers, everybody has a little Johnny in their class, right? Need I say any more? A little Johnny. He's a Peter. He's Apostle Peter is what he is. So they had spring break in the school. <laughs> and I'm laughing. Forgive me because I know what's coming. And the teacher comes back from spring break, says, students, they're like in the fourth grade, fifth grade. Would anybody like to tell us what you did on spring break? And Johnny, ooh, 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 raise his hand, raise his hand, raise his hand. And she kind of ignores him because she's like, oh, my word, what tall tale is he going to spend this time? So, and so she was calling on. Students, they were telling me, oh, we did this on spring break. We had a great time. Went on vacation. Ooh, 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 ooh. Listen, listen. And finally she said, okay. She said, Johnny, what did you do on spring break? He said, oh, he said, teacher, my dad and I, we went fishing. We caught 75 catfish 
Every one of them weighed 75 pounds. She just shook her head. She's like, oh, here we go. She said, wait a minute. She said, I'm going to teach him a lesson. Today is the day that I'm going to show, I'm going to put little Johnny in his place so he'll leave me alone. She goes, don't Johnny. You don't expect me to believe that you and your dad just happened to go fishing in the pond there and you caught 75 catfish. How much, how much does all of them weigh? 75 pounds? 75. You don't believe. You, you can't expect me to believe that, can you? You know what that would be like? That would be like me as your teacher driving into the neighborhood school today and all of a sudden I'm driving in and an 800-pound grizzly bear. Are you listening, Brother Johnny? You listening, Johnny? A grizzly bear comes out of nowhere and he's terrorizing the neighborhood and kids are running for their life and all of a sudden an eight-pound poodle. A poodle comes, I mean, he's saving the day and this poodle runs up to the bear, grabs it by the neck, throws it down on the ground and kills the grizzly bear. Do you believe that, Johnny? He says, oh, yes, ma'am, that was my dog you're talking about right there. <laughs> I thought, you know, he reminds me of something like Peter might say or Peter might do. And I, I'm praying tonight that God would, as I was praying for you a moment ago, and God just really is pulling me to pray and pray and pray more for you because I really believe that something's going to be said and it's going to change your life. There are three things in the text that I want to walk with you through, but before I do, I just want to just share a little backstory of what is going on in this text. Right before the miracle of Jesus walking on the water, there is the miracle, really some would say, of all miracles except the resurrection, and that is when Jesus fed 5,000 men, not including women and children. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, help me, Luke and John, the synoptics and John, all four of them include the feeding of the 5,000. That was a big deal, right? I mean, Jesus, here he is, he's feeding people, and everybody's getting fed, and they're happy, and they're like, wow, how do we do this? And they took just a few loaves and a few fish, and next thing you know, everybody is well fed, and can, can you, are you with me now? And everybody is turning their attention on, who is he? I mean, we've heard him teach. He's an amazing teacher, and he relates very well to us, but now... He has the ability to feed the masses. Wow, who is this person? And so all four Gospels record it, and they say, and Jesus, when he sensed that, he left them. He departed to a solitary place, and he went up into a mountain, and he prayed because he knew what was happening. They were looking upon him as a breadwinner, a miracle-working Messiah. And here's the thing. Jesus did not come to be a popular Messiah. He came to die on the cross. So he resisted that temptation of the crowds just going, wow, isn't, isn't he amazing? And Jesus did not, mm, mm, mm. he didn't come to win a popularity contest. He came to be the Son of God to die on the cross for you and for me. And I'm so glad he did. So he's up there in the mountain, and he's looking down, and he sees the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. Some people believe it's in the springtime because verse 19 talks about the the grass, and so Jesus, he's looking down upon the disciples, and Mark's gospel says these words. You didn't read this in Matthew, but Mark's gospel said, and Jesus, y'all with me? I hope I don't fall and hurt myself. I'm watching as I go. He's walking on the water, woo-hoo, walking on the water, and would y'all be the disciples here with me for just a minute? Okay, good. Just raise your hand. Y'all be the disciples. Okay, good. Okay, Y'all are the disciples, you're rowing, row, row, row. Okay, you got on your boat, good, good. And Jesus is walking by on the water, and y'all are like, okay, you stop rowing now, okay, it's good. And you're like, wow. And Jesus would have, Mark says, pass them by. And they're like, wow, oh, Jesus, Jesus, this is amazing. And Mark says, well, why, why did Jesus pass them by? Have you ever thought about that? you ever read that in the Gospel of Mark line? I mean, there they are, and they're like freaking out, going, whoa, that is Jesus Christ. He's walking on the water. And Mark says, and he would have passed them by, but they are screaming and hollering. One writer I read said, well, Jesus is testing their faith. He's saying, do you believe me? Do you trust in me? Would you call upon me? But there's a better answer. And now stay with me. It's going to get a little technical with you today. 
Every profession has technicalities, right? So I'm going to be just a little technical. I'm going to get in the weeds with you for just a little bit, okay? If you get real sleepy, take a nap and wake up in a few minutes, all right? We'll, we'll, we'll come out of this. There's a Greek word called par erkomai. Everybody say it together on the count of three. Say, whoa, wait a minute. Well, how do you say it? Par erkomai. One, two, three. Par erkomai. Par erkomai is translated pass them by, okay? So Jesus is going to pass them by. When you transliterate the Old Testament, translate it into the New Testament, uh, that is called the Septuagint. Now, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. In the book of Exodus and in the book of 1 Kings, ooh, this is really interesting. Watch this, watch this. That word parerchomai is used to describe Almighty God in two instances, and I'm going to give them to you. The first one was when uh, uh, Moses, you know, he's up on the mountain and God passes by. It's called in in, in terminology of uh, theology, it's called a theophany, all right, a theophany. They can't see God, nobody can see God's face, but in his glory and in his power, he passes by. Mm -mm, Let me give you another one. First Kings 19, Elijah. Elijah's in the cleft of the rock and, and God I mean, in this mighty, awesome power, in this theophany, in this glorious manner, he passes by. Isn't it interesting that the same terminology that is used to describe Yahweh, Almighty God, is now used to describe Jesus Christ? Let me tell you something, folks. That's heavy-duty stuff. Who is he? I mean, he's walking on water. The same terminology. Now we've got a Christophany, right? The same terminology to use of Jehovah, of Yahweh, either this guy is either an imposter, he is a charlatan, a magic kind of worker, he's either a lion, he's either a lunatic, C.S. Lewis would say, or he is the Lord, right? Okay, so that's the backdrop of what is going on in this text, all right? So you learned a little about the Septuagint, you got a little Greek in you, you rode the boat, E.J. Fleck there in Minnesota, you rode the boat, okay? So now I want to give you the three things that I came to talk to you about. All right, you ready? What time does Baylor and Tech play tonight? Eight o'clock. Okay, what time is it? Okay, we're good, so we can go on. Pastor said we're good, so we can just keep, keep on and going. Three things I want to tell you. Would you jot these down? If you've got a photographic, wonderful memory, don't jot it down. Just, just listen. But if you're like me and you have to jot things down, there are three things I want to share with you today. First of all is this. Stop being afraid. Number two, get out of the boat. And number three, keep your eyes on Jesus. Verse 27, stop being afraid. Let's look at it one more time. In verse 27, Jesus came to the troubled disciples, they're fearful, and immediately he spoke to them, and he said, and I want to share with you what he said, I'm just going to break it down for you, there's three things. Number one, he said, be of good courage. A good translation of that is, it says here, be of good cheer, but a better translation is, have courage, okay, have courage, have have boldness. Have, uh, have spiritual faith and belief. Don't, don't, be so, don't be so frightened. I mean, if you just knew who I am and that I am standing before you on this water, you have no right or reason to be afraid. Number two, ergo I me, I am... Mm, let me tell you something. There's a lot going on in this text, guys. I mean, we're already talking about the language of the Old Testament is being applied to Jesus in the New Testament, and now he says he is the great I am. Now, that is very significant because in John chapter 8, when Jesus is teaching and he refers to himself as the I am, do you all remember what happened? They were ready to stone him. They were ready to kill him because that's blasphemy. How can you say that you're equating yourself with Yahweh? Because after all, you're just, we don't really know who your dad is. You, you probably are an illegitimate child. We know that Mary is your mother and there's some fancy tale about her being, oh, impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Wait, what, really? I mean, who... Who are you? You You're saying that you are the great I am. You are Joseph's son, a carpenter's son, and you have the audacity to stand there and say that you are God in the flesh, and they crucified him for it. That's what they did back then. They would kill imposters and people who were a threat to their religion. But here's the deal. Jesus, mm, 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 up 
the grave. He arose. He is who he says he is. He's the Son of God. He had the audacity to say, I am the great I am. I am the first. I am the last. Before Abraham was, I am. And he backed He substantiated it, vindicated himself, exonerated himself. Went, praise God, Jesus arose from the dead. And did you know that's why you're here tonight? Had he not risen from the dead, then give me one of them holy iman hats and let me be a Muslim cleric. Let me be a Buddhist monk. Shave my head. Let me be a Buddhist monk or let me be a Confucius kind of person. But if Jesus really did rise, hallelujah, what a king, what a savior. Well, let's just have the invitation and go watch the ball game. I mean, what else is there, what else is there to say? Is it true? Is it true? I heard somebody say one time, and I think it was actually me, and I don't have many original thoughts. I know that the tomb is empty because my heart is so very full. The last thing he said is, verse 27, stop being afraid. It's a present imperative. And whenever that's used in the Greek New Testament with this certain conjunction, it's called the May conjunction, whenever that's used, it's not used a lot in the Greek New Testament, when it is, a mild translation is, do not be afraid. Hey, do not be afraid. A better translation is, stop. Stop. Stop being fearful. What is it that God is putting in your heart to do that fear paralyzes you from doing it? Is there something that God, maybe some big dream or and some audacious, bold, courageous thing that God would birth in your heart to do and then you have fear, and you have doubt, and you have the all shucks. Well, I'm just an all shucks, nobody, I could never do that. Let me just tell you something, that's from the pit of hell. Because if the Spirit of the living God is prompting you, and He's impressing you to do something, then guess what? Last I checked, Philippians 4.13 is still in the Bible. I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. But unless we slay this hideous monster of fear... We will never amount to all God that wants us to be. And I, I say this from a heart of compassion, but I'm just going to be a little bit bold. I've been with you a couple days now, so I'm going to be a little bit bold with you. Some of you, God's got a big, big old plan for you. And all you're going to have to do is step in faith and believe Him and do it. But you've got to overcome fear. Number two, get out of your boat. You say, well, I'm in no boat, brother. We don't have a lot of water out here in Farwell. I'm in no boat. I'm happy. I'm right here in my pew, and I'm good. But, you know, if you can just allegorically or figuratively or metaphorically think with me as a boat is whatever you're in that is confining you and preventing you from doing maybe something really crazy and big like what Peter did when he got out of the boat. I don't know about y'all, but I, I like to dream. I like to dream big. I was just getting, I was about to cry this afternoon when I was in y'all's house. And I was just sitting there and I was praying and I was going over this message and I wanted to go run. Running's good for me because I got lots of energy and if I can run it off and, and then I sleep better, I can eat a lot, doesn't bother, I don't feel guilty about it. And I just run, run, run. Forrest, Forrest Gump, just run, run, run from Alabama. But the Holy Spirit said, don't go run, I want to talk to you. So I just sit in there in that room and I'm just praying to God and I'm thinking about you and I'm thinking about this sermon. I hope you have, I hope you have some dreams and some things you want to do that where God shows up. Oh, Andy, man. Thinking about that debt, $7 million debt that we had at Great Hills Baptist Church. They called me as their pastor, and they said, we got some news for you. We owe $7 million. I said, okay, well, let's, let's do this. Let's tackle this thing. And, 
And then I got to the church, and what they didn't tell me that is if you try to pay it off early, we'll tack on a $2 million breakage fee. They didn't tell me that. But when I found that out, I was like, I'm in trouble. I mean, we'll never pay off $9 million in indebtedness. But I said, no, yes, we can. Be, be bold, be brave, think big. And then we lose about a third of the church. Talked a little bit about that, Andy. 600 people, five, 600 people left. And I thought, well, now I'm in really big trouble. Because I think I'm supposed to, I think God's called me. Ooh, ooh, listen to this. God often asks us to do things that are so beyond us that when we do them, everybody has to say, isn't God good because you're not that smart, you know? You have, I have no gifts in debt, retirement. But the two churches, the last two churches I've served, God has supernaturally brought those churches out of debt and done something miraculous. And I'm like, only God could do that. Oh, my word. You businessmen, you, you guys that, that think in numbers and so sort of thing, ask Andy about how that thing went down. It is an absolute miracle. Not only do we have no debt, we have $1.2 million cash in the bank tonight. You say, well, how in the world do you do that? Are you some financial wizard? I mean, you got some things up your sleeve? No, we just serve a big God. And hey, God puts a dream and a desire in your heart, and when you trust Him and believe Him for it, then He, then he does it. Now, it doesn't mean that it's not going to be hard, right? And you're not going to go through trials and difficulties. Who told the disciples to get into the boat? That would be Jesus. Okay, can I tell y'all something very unspiritual? And it's something that I want to do one day. So, just work with me. You know. Yeah, go ahead. If you feel like this helps your sermon, you should go right ahead and tell it. Well, I told a friend of mine who's a pastor in uh, South Carolina, and I said, there's two things I want to do before I die. And I told him, and he laughed at me. And he said, there's no way you ever get to do these two things. And both of them are are very, just not very spiritual things, but I'm like, why not? It's, it's okay to think big, dream big, and if it's in God's will, guess what? It'll happen. If it's not, it won't happen, but that's okay. I'm not going to tell you what one of them is because you'll laugh at me because you'll say, well, you, you, you'll never get to do that, but I'm going to tell you what one of them is, and I did do that. <laughs> so, in our church in, in Virginia... And I'm going to show you a picture of me about 16 years ago. And I used to have hair like your, your color hair, you know. And then I became a pastor and everything changed. You know, it just changed. I got old overnight at presidential grain. How about pastoral grain? All right, we got it going on. Russ, you're looking good. God bless you. Hey, do you put some dippity-doo in there or something? I mean, it, looks, it really looks good. I don't. So anyhow, I'm, I am a pastor in this church, and God is just... I mean, God is moving. I've never seen this before in my life where this church, and I want to see it again. May God do it again. But, I mean, the church was like growing to like thousands of people growing. I mean, up to like 3,000 people a Sunday. And I was just like, wow, this is amazing. God is, people were being saved and uh, people were being baptized and this local mayor and his wife get saved and then this general this three-star general comes to my office and says I want to meet with you and he his secretary has to call my secretary and it's just big and I'm like can we just meet no this is protocol this is a this is a you got to go through these things okay so he comes to my office him and his wife and his 16 year old daughter and I'm pastoring this church, and I'm only 30-something years. I'm young, and I, things are way over my head, but I'm like, praise God, this is awesome. And, and he comes into my office, and I begin to share the gospel with him. You said, no, you didn't. He's a three-star lieutenant general. You don't share the gospel. You just tell him everything is well. No, you don't. I said, um, Bruce, I said, share the gospel with him. And I said, um, the Bible calls you to repent. He's 50, 52 years of age. And when you believe in Jesus Christ, He saves you. I said, would you like to do that? He said, yes, I would. And I was like, really? He said, yes, I would. And so, and Jackie, his 16-year-old daughter said, and yes, I would too. And so I looked at his wife, um, and I said, well, how about you? She said, I'm good. She said, I'm good. I, I've already accepted the Lord, and I've been baptized. And so right there, Bruce, Lieutenant General Bruce Wright, three-star general, United States Air Force, led 
the squadron, the first squadron in Desert Storm, he was the point, the tip of the spear, promotion after promotion after promotion. He's a three-star general. He prays to receive Christ, and I baptize him. He's just a holy hoot nanny day, right? It's like, woohoo! God is moving, blessing. He said, do you like to play golf? I said, yes, I like to play golf. He said, well, let's go play golf. We went to play golf. They shut the whole golf course down for the general me and me, right? And I thought, this is the coolest thing. And, and all of a sudden, I mean, we're playing, and, and he stops, and he salutes. And I was like, what is going on? What is happening? And they were playing the, the national anthem. Nobody on the golf course, and they play the national anthem. And I was like, I don't know what to do. So I just put my hand on my heart, you know, and I was looking for it. But that flag meant something to him. Let me tell you. It means a lot to him. It should mean a lot to us. An F-15 fighter jet goes overhead, and I'm looking at it going, I'm just smiling, right? Because that's one of the two dreams, visions, goals, whatever, to fly in an F-15 fighter jet. Now, wouldn't that be cool? Lieutenant General Wright looks at me and says, Pastor, have you ever flown in one of those? I said, oh, mercy, no. He said, would you like to? I said, yes, sir, yes, sir, I would. He said, we'll make that happen. He said, we usually do this for senators and congressmen and Hollywood people, but I'd much rather do it for my pastor. Ooh, child, come on, isn't that good? He wasn't kidding. Halloween, 8 a.m., October 31st, he said, show up at Langley Air Force Base, and I did. And I thought, this is going to be the coolest thing. I'm going to get in the jet. I'm going to fly around, tell all my friends. Woohoo! this is cool. Oh, let me tell you something, friend. It is so much more complex than that. It takes a half day of training and preparation. You're nodding your head. You know, because we talked about this earlier today. So I show up. Can I just take you all through what happened to me that day? I'll show up. And I'm like, this is so awesome. And they're like, they're all serious. I'm like, what's so, why so serious? You know, what's happening? And they're like, Sir, I don't know if you understand. There's a lot you're going to need to go through. And I said, okay, what do I need to go through? Well, first of all, we've got to put a helmet on your big old head, your watermelon head. We've got to suit you up with a G-suit. And uh, we're going to take you into a, um, a simulator. And we're going to have to teach you to do one of two things. We're going to train you to land the $22 million aircraft. Or we're going to teach you to bail out. And I said, what are you all talking about? Bail out of what? And they said, sir, do you understand how serious this is? If the pilot, something happens to the pilot, you've got to land the plane or you've got to get out. And I was like, why? Well, I don't know about that. I, said, I just want to fly and tell my friends I've flown. You know, and they're like, no, sir, this is serious, so let's practice. I was in the simulator. I was landing in the trees, and I was everywhere. And I was like, this is no fun. I said, I'm getting really nervous now. My heart's beating really fast now. And they're like, oh, we're not finished. We've got to put you in your G-suit. I said, what, what is that? And they said, well, when you get up there and you start going... At the speed you're going to go, and they bank it and they turn it, your body's going to go through a lot of experiences, and so you've got to have the suit's going to constrict your body. And I'm like, why do I have to do that? I said, can we just not get in the plane and fly? And I'm serious. I'm, by this time, I'm starting to back out. I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be flying in this thing anyhow, and it's not all that's cracked up to be. And then they take me over, and they meet my pilot. Ogre is his code name. I don't know why they call him that, but I soon found out. He said, uh, he said Pastor... Uh, you want to go over there and eat you some bananas real quick before we get aircraft and fly. And I said, why eat bananas? He said, well, up as they do going down. <laughs> and that's when I knew I was in big trouble. Can I tell you all what happened? I sat in the back seat of that thing. Can I show you a picture? I'll show you a picture. Just when I had brownish hair. And there I am as Pastor Danny Forshee, Liberty Baptist Church. That, that thing on the left, the two tails, you see that F-15? I'm sitting in the back of that thing. This is before we take off. I'm still happy and smiling. Because let me tell you what happened. When we flew, I got violently sick. I threw up 12 times. I counted my little bag, just filled up my bag. I was like, what in heaven's name is happening up here? He goes, watch this. And he, we took off and we went vertical. I mean, they were giving me the royal treatment. I was looking back. We were leaving earth, and we were just like pulling five Gs. He said, man, we can go to 10 Gs. I said, please, heavens, no. I'm done. I'm done. He said, but before we're done, do you want to fly it? I said, you mean I can fly it? And he went, woo put his hands in the air. And I was like, oh, I grabbed the stick, and I was like, 
whoa, man. And I was flying this thing, and I, you with me? Whoa, coming over here, and I was like, this is amazing. We did it. The general came, I kid you not, he grabbed my bag that was full. You with me? He took my bag, and he took it on himself, put it in his, put his little pocket down here, and he said, are you ready to go play golf? <laughs> and we did. Shot one of the best rounds I ever shot. I, it was just, just one of those days. Is that wrong? Is that sinful to have a dream, to have something so big that only, only God could make it happen? But if God can take me, a country boy from Alabama, and allow me to serve him and even fly in an F-15 fighter, just think what he might do with you. But first of all, you've got to overcome fear. Secondly, you've got to, got to get out of the, out of the boat, the boat of trepidation, the boat of worry. Talk to some people here for just a minute as I kind of land this plane, pun intended, land in this plane. I'm going to talk to some of you tonight, and I don't know who you are, ma'am, but Holy Spirit does things like this on me when I preach the gift of prophecy, and I'm not being to freak you out as a Baptist, but Holy Spirit speaks to me, and there's a lady here tonight, and what I'm about to say is, is I believe God is telling you, stop worrying. Stop. God is either in control or He's not. And if He is in control, stop worrying. This is something that I've had to battle with, not only depression, but, but worry. And medications, all that blah, 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 all that stuff. But the deeper I go with the Lord and the more I trust the Lord, the more those things just dissipate. And isn't it amazing that to trust, trust and obey. Somebody help me, because there's to be what? Happy in Jesus, except what? Trust and obey. Isn't that simple? And some of you guys, you're getting all cocky on me, saying, well, I'm glad the Holy Spirit gave you a word for her, because I ain't got no word for me. There's a Greek word for that. I'm going to lay it on you. It's called baloney. Holy Spirit, what is he telling you? Maybe it's not you're so worried, but you're fearful. So I'm not afraid of nothing, man. I'm a blah, blah, blah. But you're fearful. Ooh, here it comes. To really stand for Jesus because you're afraid of what it's going to cost you. And people are really going to realize, well, if I do that, you know, if I don't go along with that, and I really start standing up for Christ, then... Well, say, you're, you're not so big and bad as you thought you were. What if you did that? Just took a stand for Christ. The words you used, your language, the jokes you don't laugh to, and just the way you conducted your life. So ladies, let's quit worrying. And men, let's be men of God. All right, Get out of the boat. Don't know what your boat is. The last thing I want to tell you is this. Keep your eyes on Jesus. We can take that down. That's... That's cool. That is pretty cool, though. I, sorry. That was, that was so fun. You say, what's your other big dream? I'm not going to tell you. Because you would laugh at me. Keep your eyes on Christ. Uh, you know, Peter gets out of the boat. He's walking in the water. And he's like, dude, I'm suspended between heaven and earth. I'm not sinking. I should be sinking, but I'm not sinking. This is just absolutely amazing. The other disciples are going, Peter, he's walking on the whole water. And then the winds come, right? And the waves are coming. And what did Peter do? He quit looking at Jesus. What? He's looking at the, looking at the wind and the waves, and, and he begins to what? He begins to sink. And I don't think it's so much uh, allegory or I'm reading too much into the text. And, and I love homiletics. Uh, half of my doctorate is in preaching and homiletics. And I'm, if, if, if I cross the line, just please forgive me, but I'm going to say it like this. We get in trouble just like Peter got in trouble when we take our eyes off the Lord. When we get our eyes on our circumstances, we get our eyes on our problems, or we get our eyes on our promotions, or we get our eyes upon all the success and the things, and we get our eyes off of Jesus, and we get our eyes on these things, and then we begin to sink, and so God has to reach down and lift us up and say, 
Why did you, why did you doubt me? I was sharing with you how much I love uh, reading biographies and autobiographies. I, if you've not read The Life of George Mueller, I would really encourage you to read it. George Mueller was a pastor in Bristol, England in the 19th century. And him and his wife, um, mostly him, was, you know, he planted this church, and this church is just growing and growing. And his wife's like, oh, this is, this is pretty good. And then he says, well, let's start a theological education. She's like, that sounds great. And so they started a theological education. And then George Mueller said, why don't we help all of these orphans in Bristol, England? She said, okay, that's when she drew the line. She said, we can't do that. She said, you're already maxed out, and we don't have time. We don't have the, the church doesn't have the resources. You ever heard that before? We do great things for God, but we just don't have the money. And yet God has everything, right? And so he says, honey, we're going to do it. Praise God for men that lead. Just saying. Men who rise up, spiritual leaders in their home, and say, no, God spoke to my heart, and we're going to do this. And she says, well, go ahead. I'm going to divorce you. No, no, no. That's not what she did. She said, all right, man of God, lead this home and lead this church. And they did. And man, God just blessed. I mean, they built one home. It filled up with kids. They built another home filled up with kids. Another home filled up with kids. The first home had about 300 people. One of the first real crisis of beliefs happened. True story. Are you with me? True story. You're like, this just didn't happen. This didn't happen. Hold on. I got my fancy iPad. Got my name on it. And I'm going to tell you. Well, I would, but it went blank on me. Hold on. 6647. If you wanted to know my code, just full of disclosure, transparency here. Here it comes. Jeff and Janet Binge are their names. And the title of the book is George Mueller, pages 166 through 168. Here it comes. They gathered the kids to for a meal for breakfast. The girls all dressed in their little skirts, you know, and the boys got their little shirts on and, and their pants on too, amen. And so they come in and they're sitting there and they're waiting to eat and, um, and the cooks and the people come and say, Pastor, we have no food. We have no food. He says, okay, I hear you, but here's what we're going to do. Have the children come in. Have them sit down and I'm going to say the blessing. I said, Pastor, you lost your mind. I just told you there is no food, there is no milk, there is no bread, there's nothing to eat. He said, trust me, have the children come in, have them seated, and I'll say the blessing, and let's see what God does. Don't y'all love people like that? I wish I was like that. I wish I was more like that. I'd trust God. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for these precious children you've given me and my wife. And now I want to thank you for the food that you are about to give us. He stopped and all the kids were like, they looked over at the door. Pastor walks up page 166 through 168, by the way. Some of y'all are from Missouri. Doubt, show me, all right. He goes over, he opens the door, and this baker, this baker said, God woke me up. At 2 a.m. And I just don't know. Maybe I, maybe I didn't hear from God correctly or not. But I've got all these loaves of fresh baked bread. And I'm really, I'm really stepping out here, Pastor. You probably are fine. You probably don't need any more food. But would you happen to need some more bread? Come in. And Father, thank you for the food. But now we need something to drink. He goes back over there. And this one, this guy, he, he's kind of a crusty old difficult person. They went over to him, and he's mad. He's angry because he has, now think with me, 19th century. Don't, don't, think, about, don't think about delivery systems and all that we've got today, Uber, Lyft, and uh, Amazon, all that. This guy has his cart. He's pushing it with his canisters of milk, and he's angry. And he says, he looks and he goes, my cart's broken down. I don't, I, I, there's no way I'm going to make my deliveries. You don't need any milk, do you, preacher? You wouldn't happen to need any more milk for your children, would you? So they brought in the food. They brought in the milk. He finished his prayer, and they, they ate. Wouldn't it be cool if we could live like that? I wish I could live more like that. 
Okay? You're never going to get married unless you ask her out. Okay, just saying. You're never going to go on that mission trip unless you sign up. You're never going to use these gifts and these talents unless you tell Chelsea, I, I think God's calling me, God's gifting me to do this. You're never going to be a deacon unless you say, Pastor, I believe God's calling me to do this. You're never going to teach. You're never going to do doodly squat until you step up and say, God, here I am, and let it be known, Lord, here I am, use me. Oh, it's going to be so cool. I wonder what God is about to do, and I wonder what God's going to do in the future. First Baptist Church, Farwell, Texas. Some of y'all are looking at me going, have you lost your mind, you know? We're not a bunch of bungee jumping, you know, crazy people, you know, thrill ride. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about trusting God, having faith, stepping out on faith, and doing big, big things for God. So here it is. I'm going to close with this. Go tech. Sick them bears. It doesn't matter to me. I have no dog in this fight. I'm just looking forward to the wings and the food and eating and having a good time with friends. And you know. I have no filter sometimes. It just comes out, you know, it just comes out. But before we go, before we eat, could it be that God really, really has spoken to somebody tonight? And He's calling you to salvation. He's calling you that the first step is always, it seems like that's the most difficult step. Pastor, is that not true? You take that first step, and the Holy Spirit, the wind of the Spirit, just like, just blows you, and here you come. You give your life to Christ. Maybe, ma'am, at first it, it offended you when I said stop worrying, but you're getting over it. You know, you're, you're okay now, and you're like, okay, I, I receive that. Because I am a worrier. And your husband's like, yes, you are. Repent. Yeah, worry, yeah worry. and sir, you, you're, you're more fearful than you realize. I'm just saying, I wonder what God spoke to you tonight. If he didn't say anything to you, so be it. But I really believe he did. I wonder if he's spoken to some teenagers. It doesn't have to be you guys right here. There are other teenagers spread throughout. Man, man, wow. What if God is calling you to, to some ministry? Now, your parents are getting nervous, like, please don't, please, God, don't call my child. You know, they need to take care of the farm, Lord. They need to take care of me if there's some poor preacher that. Don't, don't, don't do that. If God is calling your kids to preach, God's calling them to be missionaries, God's calling them to do great things, then hallelujah. Guess who will take care of you? Jesus. Jesus will take care of you. He said, why are you crying? I don't know. I'm just excited. I'm excited what God is saying to you right now. Father, I thank you. Thank you for this dear church, Lord. and Thank you for the Holy Spirit of God giving us some moments, some teachable moments tonight. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for Russ. Thank you for Kim. Lord, if there's a finer pastor and wife, I, I don't know that I know them, God. What a, what a great couple, Lord. They love you, God. They love each other. They love, love, love this church. Thank you, Lord, for Chelsea and faithfulness. To... Lord, I just think it's so cool to read Scripture when I'm singing a song. I've never done that before until tonight. Or I think it was yesterday. It's so neat. Thank you, Lord, for these people stepping out and using their gifts and their talents. So, Lord, who else? Who else here at First Baptist Church, Lord, would say, God, I have this dream, and Lord, I have this desire. And God, if it be your will, bring it to fruition. Let it happen, God, let it happen. Guys, you'd be shocked. <laughs> you'd be shocked when we go to heaven. And I was reading this book one time, and the pastor, he said, he thinks heaven's going to look like this. It's going to be a lot of presents wrapped in bows. And there are all those blessings that were never opened because we never asked. Mercy. I don't know about you, but I'm going to be asking. And God, if there's a big present for me, if there's a big something you want me to do, then Lord, let me do it. Maybe you're here tonight, real, real, real 
serious. So bow your heads, close your eyes. If you are here tonight, say, I'm ready to give my life to Christ. I'm ready to step out in faith, trusting in God, leaving my boat of sin and shame and guilt and immorality and just leaving that and stepping into the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's why I preach the sermon. So that God would speak to you and He would would wrestle with you and He would draw you out of sin into salvation. Hallelujah. Mm. Tell somebody. We'll have the invitation. Just come, take Him by the hand and say, I'm giving my life to the Lord. Or maybe you already know the Lord and, and God really spoke to you tonight about about a dream, about a mission trip. Come on now. Maybe another business he wants you to start to really help mission. That's what my wife and I did. We started this ministry 15 years ago and prayed. We get to people and help other ministries and missionaries and churches. It's so fun. It's so cool. Maybe God you to do something like that. Maybe God's just saying, no, divorce. That's not an option. Stay. Stay with him. Stay with her. Some heavy duty stuff. And I'm just, I'm just wondering if God is speaking to you tonight. I, I pray that he has. Lord, I pray now during the invitation. God, your will would be done. Lord, I pray for this spirit of boldness, the spirit of peace would just permeate and saturate this, this very room. Lord, I pray that... Um, and God, decisions would be made tonight that will impact uh, lives, impact this church, and will impact even eternity. And that's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.